Grace Church. Oh, man, I tell you, I got in last night and um, I was driving through town and, you know, a bunch of memories, right? Memories of everything. And I just have to say, I just, I, when I drove through, I was just overwhelmed with gratitude and just like thanking God for the season that I got to be a part of here and how God blessed me and my family through grace and the ministry that happened. It's just, I was just like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So thank you, Grace. Thank you, Grace, for just who you are, what you represent, what you're doing. Um, if you're new here, uh, my name's Miguel. I was on staff. Uh, I was paid to be Dan's friend. And uh, yeah, yeah, but, uh, and, and we're still friends, so it's all good now. So um, uh, my family's doing well. Uh, I, I have five kids um, and a wife of 16 and a half years. Let me just say this about my wife. There is no human being on the planet that has ever had a greater influence in my life than my wife. I am truly blessed to be married to her. But we have five beautiful kids. My youngest is five years old. My oldest is now going into high school. And, um, and she recently, she just, um, she was at the library and she got like this uh, free two weeks of Taekwondo. Now, I think, now she came, I was like, I'm going to sign up. I'm like, what? What's happening right now? And she, she's calling it. Hey, I got two free weeks. I'm ready to go. I think it's because she watched Cobra Kai, like, so she's, she thinks like she's ready to, go. I don't know. But she, hopefully, you know, as a parent, I go, I go maybe, um, uh, you know, it'll be good for her and all that. But I'm, as a parent, I'm also thinking, I really hope she never has to use this in like a real life scenario, you know, because that's scary. And um, it was back in 2007, November of 2007. My wife, she was pregnant with my first child, Sophia, and, um, and I was hungry for a second dinner, um, and, and I remember we went, uh, our, my wife was working, and I went to uh, Wendy's for a junior bacon cheeseburger, you know, because that's what you do. So I go, and I come back, and uh, as I step out of the vehicle, uh, of my vehicle, I turn around, and there's someone in a hoodie that is charging me. And uh, this is a bad part of town. This was East Knoxville, Tennessee, where we were living. Um, bad part of town. I mean, we'd hear, like, you know, gunshots. We'd hear um, stories. I mean, it was just a, not a good part of town. And I remember I stepped out, and there's a person charging me in a hoodie. And, and I kid you not, I, I just, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I just caught whatever he was attacking me with. And I looked down, and there was a kitchen knife. And he was about to you know, take my life. And luckily, um, I grew up in a church that if you became a member in the church, they gave you free jujitsu lessons. <laughs> so you never know what the church is going to provide for your life. You got to get to church. So, so, I, so I, all of a sudden, I, I, I was able to defend myself and I was able to, to take him down and get the knife out and, and someone heard some commotion and called the police and the police came and, and, and then he takes off running. It was absolutely insane that whole evening. But it was a very scary moment for my family and, and I was, I'm like, I just got attacked. So could you imagine like the nerve I have like calling my wife while she's at work. Hey babe, how's it going? Good, okay, I was just attacked. No big deal, I'm okay. Like I didn't know how to explain that moment, but, but I was just like attacked for real. And Jesus is, um, 
about to tell a story in Luke chapter 10 of a, of a person being attacked. So I want to tell you this story. Um, in, it's in Luke chapter 10. If you got your Bible, you can turn on your Bible. You can turn your Bible, whatever you got today. Luke chapter 10. And there is a, uh, the context real quick. It's important to understand context in Scripture. If it's, if it's taken out of context, it's a con. So you got to understand what's happening. Um, in this story, there's an expert in the Mosaic law who comes up to Jesus and, 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 and is trying to test him. You can't test Jesus, but he's trying to test Jesus. And he goes, hey, Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, well, you know, you're an expert in the law. What does the law say? What do you, how do you read it? And he goes, well, you know, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then, and then Jesus goes, well, go, go do that. You got it. But then the expert of the law trying to justify himself, this lawyer looking for a loophole, which understand when you're trying to justify yourself and you're looking for a loophole, you're guilty. That's why you're doing that. Okay, we understand that, right? Our kids do it to us all the time. So, so, so there, he's looking for a loophole. He's trying to justify himself. Well, and he says, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who, what is neighbor really? right? He's trying to justify it. And so Jesus goes into story mode, which he does it all the time. He goes into parables. He goes into story mode. Jesus is a master storyteller, master storyteller, genius storyteller. And great storytellers always allow people to see themselves in the story without assaulting them with the truth. That's what makes them powerful storytellers. He doesn't just assault people with the truth. He brings stories and parables to understand what's happening, to allow people to see themselves in the story. So he goes, who's my neighbor? Jesus goes, here's what he says. Luke 10, verse 30 through 37. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side. Passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came, he, he, he saw the man again. He saw him and he passed by on the other side. Other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put uh, the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. The expert of the law said, the one who had mercy on him, and Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, traditionally, this is called the story of the Good Samaritan. If you have a Bible, you're gonna see like a little title, a little, a little thesis idea, like topic, the, the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan has been around, this concept of the Good Samaritan has been around for thousands of years. I mean, this was such an impactful story. We still coin the phrase today. In fact, in our country, we have what's called the Good Samaritan Law. Does anyone know this? Where if you, yes, yes, yeah, good. So if you were to like offer aid, 
CPR uh, and, and maybe accidentally break their rib in the process, um, you're not criminally liable. It's, it's that idea. In fact, in some states, it's called the Good Samaritan Law duty to rescue. Meaning if you don't act, if you don't offer any kind of aid of any kind, then you're criminally liable because you didn't do anything about it. I mean, this, this story that Jesus, it was so revolutionary, it was so impactful, the world's still really impacted by it today. But the priests and the Levite, they don't help. <laughs> they pass by on the other side. And what's incredible about this story is that the priests and the Levite, they were obligated. This was their role. They, one was a priest. The other was a Levite, and, and Levites were part of the priestlyhood. If, if they weren't a priest, they were a temple assistant. In fact, some translations will say priest and temple assistant. So this is like a big deal. This is, they're supposed to help. They're supposed to stop and offer aid and care, but they don't. Let me ask this question. Have you ever been in trouble and you were surprised at who didn't help you? You were surprised at who didn't stop and help you, who didn't text you. You were surprised at who didn't stick around or, or who didn't show up. See, because at the end of the day, it's not about what you know, it's about what you show. It's not about what you've learned, it's about what you've lived. It isn't about what we've received, it's about what we've given that matters most. But both the priest and the Levite, they saw the man and passed by on the other side. I find it very interesting that the way Jesus would describe the story here is he would say the other side. I feel like as I read the story, Jesus could have easily told the story and just say, and they passed by. But he made extra effort to just say they passed by on the other side. The priest went by and passed by on the other side. The Levite went by, passed by on the other side. I find it very interesting, but I also think it's just the genius of Jesus why he would say that they passed by on the, the other side, because there's, there's an other side to the situations that you and I face. When we see hurting situations, difficult circumstances, or an opportunity to help someone in need, there's this pressure that we feel to choose which side. And all too often, we find ourselves on the wrong side of the situation that God wants us to be in. We choose the other side to walk, or we choose the other side of that conversation. Let me just tell you this, the world we live in today is passionately pushing us to pick a side. Have you noticed? I mean, in their aroused anger, the world is saying, choose, pick a side. Are you for or against? Are you with this or with that? Which is it? Pick a side. I don't know if you felt that at all in the last couple of years, but boy, people are pressuring you to choose, to pick a side. And what's tempting, what's so, so important to recognize is that the bond that they want us to choose is they want us to bond with them over the things that they hate. It's something called common enemy intimacy. 
So beware of common enemy intimacy. It's a side of anger and hate that they want to feel almost validated in. So they're like, come on, do you hate this? Some of the first questions people ask me is like, hey, Miguel, what's your stance against that one person, that one leader, that one situation, that one thing? And in their anger, they almost like they want that. And today's world people, are their connection is built on the people that they hate. This common enemy intimacy is so powerful today and, and it's tempting to, to wanna just go, yeah. So people in these small conversations going, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Hey, do you know that thing? Yeah, I disagree with that too. Yeah, you too? Oh my gosh, did we just become best friends? Yeah, let's go to lunch. Oh, I'm going, what just happened there? And it's like in seconds, all of a sudden we're bonded. We find connection over the things and people that we hate and people groups that we hate, that's the world we're in right now. And we have to beware of this common enemy intimacy because so many people, they wanna ally over the things that they hate and hundreds of hate groups are being formed. And here's the thing, if we bond, if the bond that we share with others is simply that we hate the same people, then we will believe that we will have real connection. We will believe that that connection is so real because that moment is very powerful. We'll have this immediate moment of gratification and it's a definitely an easy way to discharge outrage and pain that you're experiencing. It's so easy to do that. However, it is not real connection. It's a counterfeit connection. And we have to be aware of it. That's why people today are still lost, lonely, feeling unsatisfied, feeling distant and disconnected. They're not feeling the love of Jesus. They're just fueling their hate. It's so easy for us to do this. I remember um, at at the church I I pastor, um, when the situation with Ukraine happened, um, so much love went to Ukraine and everyone had like blue and yellow flags and it was wonderful to see that. Uh, you know, we, we gave support and all those things. But what was interesting is although we had all this love for Ukraine, um, the other country, people did not like them, okay? And, and there were some pretty foul things people were saying about them. And, and I was, you know, I was trying to be understanding and I was like, Lord, give me wisdom, give me wisdom. And then all of a sudden, one of my congregants, okay, came to me and they were Russian from Moscow. And they're in tears because America has been such a blessing to them their entire life. And now they're feeling marginalized. And people are going, oh, whoa, are you? And I'm going like, Lord, what are we doing? (laughs) It's so easy to rally over this common enemy intimacy that we have with people and we're trying to do our best, but sometimes we overshoot and we overdo this and, and we screw this whole thing up and I'm going, what's happening? The season and the road that you and I are finding ourselves in is very bloody and hate filled. In fact, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was an infamous road. The story that Jesus is explaining, it was an infamous road for crime and robbery. In fact, in this day, it was called the path of blood. That's how intense, it's like, hey, where are you going? Uh, You taking the path of blood road? Yeah. Just going for a walk, just walking the trail today. Like, it wasn't, it was a known 
for just this, this road was ugly. Do you want to know where the bloodiest paths and roads are today? It's the comments section of social media and YouTube. Oh boy, talk about a road to Jericho. It's right there. And man, people are getting beat and hurt and tossed to the side, leaving them half dead. We think we can pass through the internet, don't we? We think our post is gonna be so powerful and life-changing, we have to say something. 95% of the people on that thread, you don't even know, but we wanna argue. We want to debate. We want to get into it. i got to defend the gospel. And so we go for it. But the reason why people are still confused about Jesus today and they're not engaging with it is because we would rather win an argument than the person. We value our opinions way too much. And we just go, i got a point. They need to hear it. And man... People never see Jesus in it. The world is not going to know Jesus by how well we argue and debate truth. They will know Jesus by how well we love people. And the world that is constantly wanting us to pick a side, are you for, are you this, are you you on the right or the left, you know what I'm talking about, I'm not gonna go there, okay? It's constantly pushing us. Jesus is not wanting us to do that. In a world that's constantly saying, pick a side, he's saying, I want you to love people. Jesus never picked a side. Even when people were demanding it of him. You remember the story of the woman who caught in the act of adultery? Man, that was a Jesus genius moment. The woman's caught in the act of adultery. The Old Testament law says she is to be stoned, but he has a reputation of loving people. So Jesus, what are you gonna do now? We got him, everybody. And Jesus goes, he who is without sin can cast the first stone. Mic drop, cosmic mic drop. (laughs) And then he just goes, like, Jesus never takes sides. Jesus takes over and loves people because every time we take a side, we divide. Every time we take a side, we divide. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the side takers. (laughs) He said, blessed are the peacemakers. It was his opening to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called a child of God. There's a song about that. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus stood in the middle of all the chaos and loved people. So the question to ask yourself in difficult, hurting, angry, hate-filled situations and seasons is never what side should I take, but rather how many people can I love? It isn't, what side, what side, what side's the right side? Only in the Western culture are we all caught up on what's right and wrong. In Eastern culture, it's honor and shame. We are so lost in the side taking of every situation. And instead of asking what side, you should say, how many people can I love? If we're gonna represent Jesus, we're going to represent Jesus. It's how many people can I love in this moment? Jesus doesn't draw lines to keep people out. 
Jesus crosses lines to bring people in. That's a big difference. That's why Jesus used a Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews, it was a notorious, hate-filled relationship. They were enemies, enemies for hundreds of years. And the reason Jesus used a Samaritan in this story was to show the kind of love that doesn't draw lines to keep people out, but crosses lines to bring people in. So yes, we love even those people. Yes, even those people. The ones that are irritating, frustrating. Your enemy. The people who are persecuting and hurting, who's slandering your name. Even those people. And I, can, I can't help, like the, the priest and the Levite, they could have had every kind of excuse. Every kind of excuse. I mean, I'm going, I'm going if, you're, if you're one of them, you're going, okay, the road's too dangerous for me to stop. It's literally called the path of blood. I gotta run, okay, the whole time. I don't know if as a kid I was kind of scared of the dark. I took out the trash can. I would run. As I'm like eight-year-old boy. I'd run to the trash and come back. I'm like, because you never know what's gonna happen. It's like this road is too dangerous. I, got, I can't stop. Or, or he might even think, this person's a decoy for an ambush. Like, he could have thought that. You're thinking, this guy's smart. It's just strategic. I can't stop. Or how about this one? Good churchgoer, Christian leader. It's a, uh, I got a responsibility at the temple, so I can't stop. They need me. The church needs me. Can't operate without me there, right? So I got to go. I got to go. I can't stop. I got to be at church. Or how about this? I don't know first aid. That, that seems reasonable, like there's an ignorance, like I don't know how to help this person. I don't know first aid, I don't know how to bandage wounds, I don't know what to do. Or how about this one, I go, you know what, I can pray about that. <laughs> it just got really personal for somebody in the room, like, oh gosh, did you, how do you know, Miguel? Okay. We do this, we, we use prayer as a substitute for obedience when it's not. It's, you're passing by on the other side. Yeah, but I'm gonna, he's gonna be on the top of the prayer list though this Sunday, it's gonna be great. I'm going, that's an excuse. Here's the thing, we have all kinds of excuses today of, of not to help people. Why we're not helping people, why we're not stopping and serving people, why we're not doing something, why we're not signing up for Reading No Love, why we're not signing up for a small group, why we're not signing up to serve, why we're not doing this or that. We have every kind of excuse, but the number one excuse that I'm seeing all the time today is I'm in a hurry and I'm busy, I'm busy. I don't have time, Miguel. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. I've said this before. Busy stands for buried under Satan's yoke. We're so in a hurry. You wanna know what's beautiful about Jesus? This is, this, just do a study on Jesus. Jesus was never in a hurry. Did you understand that? He never ran anywhere. He ne- Jesus was always a non-anxious presence. How beautiful is that? Everywhere he went. And people literally tried to kill him. And he's going, thank you, Lord. He's everywhere, which means he was always interruptible. So let me ask this. How interruptible are you? How interruptible are you? If we're going to represent Jesus, if we're going to be Jesus to the world, how interruptible are we? See, it's more than just telling people Christianity is true. People need to see that, it's, that it works. 
The only way they see that is through us, the church people, through your life. People may never read the Bible, but they will read your life. People may never attend church, but they might interrupt you. How interruptible are you? See, listen, I've come to realize in the season that we're in, love is the greatest delivery system for the gospel message. Love is the greatest delivery system for the gospel message. And I just have to say this, the last couple of years has been inexplicably difficult for you and for me. The season has attacked us. The season has attacked you, physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. Every time we go through a big season, we go off of our reserves. We live off, even if it's a good season, weddings and a birth of a child, we're trying to get through it. It's so big. And the last couple of years years have been huge. People are living off of their reserves. Can you imagine what it was like before the pandemic? Because here's the thing, people were already living off of their reserves. And then it hit. So where are people now? There's all kinds of studies coming out because the trauma of the last couple of years, how, what it's had on us, and there's these fragmented trauma moments that we've had. And it's, it's symptoms like, uh, like short-term memory loss. Like all of a sudden, you'll just, you'll go to text somebody and you completely forget. Like, wait, who is this supposed to text? Oh, um, goodness. There's another symptom. We, we are, listen, we are exhausted. Like, in our inmost being. So some of the symptoms are like people are just super tired much earlier in the day. Which means this. Forget the Good Samaritan story. I don't have enough in the tank for my spouse and children. I don't have enough to give to my friends and my neighbors. I'm done. I have zero grace. We can't, we can't hold the tension of understanding and empathy. We, we are so just exhausted and tired, which has resulted in a diminished desire for contact. We don't care anymore. People are finding relief when things and social events cancel. They go, oh, thank the Lord I don't have to show up now. We're finding, that's how we're finding fuel. Oh, it's done. I don't have to meet them for dinner. Oh, small groups canceled this week. Oh, thank the Lord, because I just need to rest. And we're finding relief from that, from disconnection. I get it. Hey, people, you're, you're away because you're sick, you're not feeling good. But I think there's a lot of people that are just home being comfortable. Because they're going, man, I have no desire. I've lost it. But there's a story and I go, I go Lord, okay, how, how do we get back? Because before we can rebuild, we need to revive ourselves, our soul. How do we get back there? And it all comes back, there's a, the, the beginning moment that I think we need to get to 
is what Jesus does with his disciples. He takes them to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and, and Caesarea Philippi is the epicenter of panic, pain, suffering, world religions, absolute utter chaos, and he goes there. There's this cave that, that, that comes, there's a natural spring that comes out of it. They believe that that opening was the entrance to the underworld. They called it the gates of Hades, the gates of hell. Jesus takes his disciples there. They were worshiping this, this pan god, a half goat, half man god. In Greek, um, it's panikos because he would all of a sudden um, uh, just randomly have this blood curdling shout that would sh- scare people. So it was called panikos. It's where we get the word panic from. So Jesus takes his disciples to the region of panic, pain and suffering and evil. And he asks two questions. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? They had all kinds of questions. And today that would be the thing too. I don't know who Jesus is. I don't even know. I'm deconstructing. I'm walked away. I'm not sure what I believe anymore. So I don't know. They would have all kinds of answers today. But then he asks the second question, and this is key for us to know. It's who do you say I am? Who am I? And Peter gets this one right. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, yes, Peter, my Father in heaven just gave you that. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. That is both literal and the worldly influence that you and I face. He's saying, listen, church, we are drained and sapped of energy. We have to come back in a season of pain, suffering, and panic that we've been in. And the question we have to ask, who is Jesus to you? Is he the Christ? Is he the son of the living God? Or is he just a Sunday morning practice? If we're going to refuel, revive, and get back in this, and be back on mission. We have to get available to God and say, yes, Lord, have it all. If we're gonna be available for others, we have to get available once again to God and remind ourselves He is Christ. He is Lord of all. And even the very gates of hell can't prevail. Even the very gates of panic and pain cannot prevail against it. We are the church. We are his people, and we are sent to reach the world with love and make disciples. So what do you say, Grace? Can we become available again for the Lord? Because people need Jesus today. So let's go.